Good morning, everyone. For those of you that have been here throughout the month, you know we're working on the subject of joy, and we're using the book called Awakening Joy by James Barrand for uh, inspiration, I would say. And you know, between Reverend Lynn Johnson and I, we've given quite a few kind of techniques, tools, ways of looking at our own lives to find the joy that's in it, as well as actively creating more joy in our lives. Well, today's no exception. I'm going to give us a few more ideas for moving forward in a more joyous life. But before we get there, I want to talk about something that actually isn't very joyous at all. I want to talk about something that actually is one of the key things that prevents us from feeling joy. And this, as they say, is ripped from the headlines, but not of today, of 1975. Uh, For those of you who have been around that long, 1975, very popular TV show called the original Star, well, it wasn't called the original Star Trek, it was just called Star Trek then, had been off the air for a few years, and a phenomenon known as the science fiction convention had started up. So it's July 11th, 1975, the Los Angeles Herald Examiner discussed the recent Star Trek convention. And attending it was DeForest Kelly, the fellow that played Bones, the doctor on the original Star Trek show. The paper acknowledged the emerging mainstream power of Star Trek, its ability to coin enduring terms such as beam me up Scotty, put your phasers on stun, and so forth. Uh, But think about it. This article was written in 1975. There was another Star Trek movie that just released in the last couple months. Truly an enduring phenomenon. Through reruns, it says, through conventions, through special appearances, lectures, and books, Star Trek not only alive, but thriving. How about DeForest Kelly, though? How was that actor doing? All of this fame and fortune profited DeForest Kelly exactly nothing. The newspaper article goes on to describe his frequent visits to the unemployment office, and his agent told him that he would just have to wait for a Star Trek reunion if he wanted to see work in Hollywood again. This, my friends, is called typecasting. For those of you familiar with the term, it's when an actor or um, someone in the public eye becomes so associated with a certain kind of role that virtually no one can picture them doing anything else. And the trouble with it, of course, when there's not a market for that thing, (laughs) when there isn't a livelihood to be had in that thing, then they're not used for anything else. So I might piss off a few people But I want to suggest that we've all been typecast. Sometimes by our parents when we're young, sometimes by teachers along the way in grade school, sometimes in our marriages or in our families or in our communities. But you know who's the best at typecasting? (laughs) Yeah, some of you are already raising the hand, right? We typecast ourselves. Now, it isn't necessarily always a bad thing. We picture ourselves in a a role as a mother or a father, as our role as a a grandparent in roles at work and things like that. And, And I'm sure they start out as being useful, but anytime we put ourselves in a box, 
I think there's a danger there because we're not square. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? It's like we have edges that are undefinable. We want to express ourselves in powerful ways. And even if the role started out being a useful or a good thing, it nonetheless tends to limit who we are and what our capabilities are. All right. Now I want to try another idea on for you because I think it's part of typecasting and it's what we call our story. Does everyone have a story? Yeah. And so often the stories that accompany our lives are made up often of the little unpleasant bits that got us where we are today. Now, I'm not suggesting that we just ignore them. I'm not suggesting that we have to put aside all traces of our past, although there have been times that I thought that might be good for me. <laughs> but I do want to suggest that when our stories about the past become our stories about today, we are typecasting in the harshest way. Let me use an example. It was about a couple months ago, I was invited to a party, and, uh, and although I enjoy parties, I have to say, it was a party where I didn't hardly know very many people. So it was one of those where, you know, it's, you know, hello, I'm Larry, you know, how are you, and where do you work? And, and honestly, a lot of it was kind of a little bit on the surface level, and you know, that's okay, because you're meeting a lot of people. But this one woman, she came up to me, and like looked me right in the eyes and said, you know, I'm so-and-so, and I was a sexually abused used as a child and then I, I I married a man who was an alcoholic and and uh, and I had you know my first child out of wedlock and there was a great deal of torment in my life around this and it's kind of taking my breath away and I sort of didn't know where to go with it I was kind of like hi my name is Larry and I'm a minister and I'm I'm having a nice summer it's nice you know it's like it's nice to meet you and what I realized was this story was so alive in her. She was the sum and the actress, if you will, in that role of those things that had happened to her. And you know what's equally sad is you, you kind of saw her moving around the room and the whole room was casting her in that role. Even if she would have wanted a different role, she had, you know, I, and I'm sure she was doing it unconsciously. I, I, I mean, I, I swear this was not her intent, but everyone in that room was thinking, that poor woman. This is dangerous, my friends. When we cast ourselves in a role that is to be pitied, we will be. When we cast ourselves in a role that is small or, or, or has a lot of drama in it, we will be bringing the smallness and the drama into our lives through our own actions and through the people that we've told the story to. If our story is one of no finances and no hope, that is the role that we've cast ourselves into. If we see ourselves as unlovable because of some bad relationships and we, we play that out for enough people, lo and behold, it starts being true for us. Now, what does an actor do when they're typecast? Well, well, unfortunately, DeForest Kelly felt there was no way out of this. But I got to tell you, a lot of actors and actresses are pretty smart, as you can imagine. And what they do is they work really hard with their agent and other directors to cast themselves what they call against type. 
So if you have an action hero that's really tired, like Arnold Schwarzenegger, of probably of being an action figure, he'll cast himself in something like Kindergarten Cop so that you can see he has a warm side and that he likes kids and so that he's more available to different kinds of people. If someone's often cast as a villain, they'll do their best to find a director in a vehicle where maybe they're the romantic character or the sidekick or something like that. And it isn't even sometimes that those movies are particularly good, but they're valuable to the actor because they portray the roundness of that person. Not just one flat character time and time again playing the villain, playing the victim, playing whatever it is. We get to see them in their fullness. Well, let us take a tip from the Actors Guild here. One thing that we can do around our story, first of all, is to stop telling it. Right? <laughs> and honestly, I, I, I'm going <laughs> to, I've decided I'm going to be your worst nightmare. Because <laughs> I don't have very many powers around here. But one of them that I do have is when I'm going to tune it from now on, when I tune in on someone's story and it sounds like grand opera and really messy, <laughs> I'm going to start asking questions. I'm going to say, really? This sounds like quite a story. <laughs> and you might be mad at me initially, but. But the idea is, and here's where I'm heading, let's write a different story. Let us release whatever pain and misery was in our past. Let's release a childhood that maybe didn't have enough money or not enough love. Let's release of those first marriages or, or whatever may have brought you pain in your early years. I'm not saying to not, you know, to not tell close friends what your life was like. But let's not keep telling the story. Let's cast ourselves in a different role. We're the director of our lives. We're the writer of our lives. We can cast ourselves in whatever roles we want. I'm going to help you do that. <laughs> I'm going to be your worst enemy. <laughs> but I want to suggest, I want to do a one-up here. If we were on the cooking show, I'd say, bam, let's raise it up. Because I want to suggest... Maybe we don't need roles at all. What would it be like to live authentically in every moment from a place of great personal integrity, not thinking that I have to behave a certain way because of any role? I don't have to be the dutiful wife. I don't have to be the, the, the husband that looks the certain way, the father that looks the certain way. I don't have to fit into any defined roles that exist out there. In each moment, I can choose my thoughts, I can choose my actions that are in perfect alignment with me as a spiritual and loving being. Let's just fire the casting director altogether, right? <laughs> I'm serious. Because even the, even the good roles, even the juicy roles, right? I, I was reading a, a kind of an autobiography of Helen Mirren, and she said, what a juicy role playing the Queen of England is. I mean, it doesn't get any better than that. And she said, I don't need to play it again. Right? Because you start seeing yourself in a certain way. And even though it's a powerful way, even though it's maybe a larger than life and grand way, it still 
has limits that go with it. Let's throw out the limits. Let's throw out the roles. Let us have the awareness that each moment of each day, we get to choose our thoughts that are appropriate for who we are and the moment. We'll let go of the playbook. <laughs> we'll let go of the, yeah, I would have, should have, or, or, or I, this is what I've done before, and actually think about it. Well, how do I want to react? How do I want to behave? How do I want to show up and enjoy? How do I want to bring my awareness of my life as a spiritual being, having an experience on this planet, in this moment? Because I believe this is where joy is born. When we're playing out the role, when we're playing out, especially those, some of those negative roles, we're always going to feel boxed in and hampered. That's not where joy is. That's the position of the closed heart. That's the being able to, um, you know, only work within limited ideas of what it is to be a man or a woman or, or a certain profession. Or, it, it's always going to feel tight. It's always going to bring about those closed heart situations. When in each moment we choose fresh, joy can always be there. We can always make the choice that will open our heart. We can always make the choice to experience more freedom. We can always make a choice that will at least lead us in a direction of greater peace or greater love. Now, it may not be a, you know, jump from the, the frying pan, you know, into nirvana, but we always can take steps that will lead us in that direction. If we let go of the should-ofs, if we let go of the roles, and let go of other people's ideas of who we should be, we can take steps in a positive way. So how do we do this? We let go of the, the, the story. We let go of the drama. We let go of who we were in favor of who we are. If we need to, right, recast yourself in a better role. Sometimes if you don't know what to do, at least then you can pattern yourself over something that was more positive, right? But I think we're more creative than that. I don't think we really need to take on some other role, even if it's a positive one, even if it's the Queen of England. I don't think we have to do that. I think in each moment, we can choose. Here's what James Barron said about this whole issue. And, and I think he even paints a scarier picture of it in a way. We'll see what you think. He calls it letting go of the soap opera. One area where we tend to hold on is that of our personal story, the running narrative that tells us who we are and what we should be. We rehearse it, we habituate it as the character we are to play. We wake up in the morning and here comes the story, like a long-running soap opera. One of the easiest ways to begin letting go is simply to notice how debilitating, how confining it is to always be this character in this story. Simply notice how contracted the story feels, how old and tired it feels. Simply choose to let it go. All right, I promised some techniques and some tips for moving forward with additional joy in your life, and I think a good place to switch gears here is with a joke. So a teenager brought home her new boyfriend to meet her parents, and I gotta tell you, they were a little taken aback. 
long hair, one of his tattoos not even correctly spelled. I mean, there were some problems here. Dirty clothes. And, and in particular, they noticed during the meal, he wasn't even really that kind to their daughter. He, he kind of used profane language and, and kind of maybe an unsavory uh, character. So, of course, the mom decides, well, I better talk to her about it. So as they're cleaning up after the meal in the kitchen, she asks her daughter, are you sure about him? He seems like he's a little rough around the edges. I, I, I kind of worry about this as a, as a man for you. And the daughter says, you know what? I was thinking that at first, too. He does seem kind of rough and uncaring, but he is such a public servant. He is such a philanthropist. He is so much out in the community helping people. And the mom was, was shocked a bit. She said, oh, really? I didn't know. The daughter says, why, yes. In fact, down at the county hall, there's even a man that's keeping track of his hours of community service. <laughs> Okay. <laughs> yeah, I was that naive once. How about you? <laughs> but I think this raises up actually kind of a cool point. Do you know why they often sentence people to community service? Because it changes them. And one of the tidbits or the tips that I want to give to all of you for experiencing more joy in your life is if you want to get out of your story, get into somebody else's story. If you want to put aside your own trouble in life and your own misery and the, you know, whatever, whatever went wrong in your life, become a service to those people that are less fortunate or having troubles in their own lives. It is hugely powerful. It's one of the reasons, it's, in fact, I, well, don't get me started on the modern system of, of punishment and prisons and things like that, but I would actually say that community service is one of the few parts in, in modern uh, 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 criminal sentencing and things that actually does amazing good in the world because it allows the person to get out of themselves, to get out of their own story, to get out of their own difficulty, and make a difference. Now, I was stunned this week. I did a little bit of research. Uh, James Barron's book kind of pointed the way for me. Did you know they've actually done um, studies, neurological studies, on people who witnessed something bad happening to someone else. And so in the purposes of the study, they used a little finger prick thing where it would like, probably similar to someone testing for diabetes where it brings up a little drop of blood. Well, they had someone do that and then they had someone observe that being done and then they looked at their brain waves. Do you know what? Exactly the same areas were firing. So the person watching was having the same feeling that the person who was actually doing the, the little minor injury to themselves. The thing, and, and I, I kind of get that, right? It's that sympathetic or that, that kind of seeing yourself in that position, that kind of, a, uh, like if you see uh, something, uh, an accident on the freeway, you know, it initially, it kind of makes you take your breath. It kind of, you're feeling something for that other person. That didn't surprise me too much. What did surprise me is guess what other center of the brain was activated only in the observer, it was the doingness center of our brains. It's the same kind of center that carries out complex activities. 
And what they concluded was, we're virtually hardwired that when we see someone in trouble, we want to help them. We feel what they're feeling. A, a, a part of us feels their pain, feels their misfortune. And at the same time, we have that mom's instinct of wanting to make it better. We have that instinct to, oh, if there's only something I could do here. They also, the same group of, uh, of smart scientists, did some studies about helping and what I think is interesting, and once again, this is no surprise to people who do volunteer work at all, the pleasure centers of the brain are triggered when we help other people. So if you think about it, it kind of does a full loop here. We see someone having pain, we feel the pain, we're immediately called forth to do something about it. And then when we do something about it, it relieves the pain in that person who initially suffered and in us. It makes us feel good. So my suggestion this week, if you're willing to try it, is find some place that you can be of service in that way. Now, I know some of us already volunteer, and that's really cool. Um, but if you don't, if you don't have a current practice of volunteering your time somewhere, uh, give that a look-see. Do you know what I mean? Um, there are any number of charitable organizations, the Humane Society, uh, Bologna Joe's downtown. I mean, you can really pick an area in your own life, whether you want to uh, maybe help out with the homeless or, or pets or whatever it is, but it will get you out of your story and it will bring joy to you as well. And, and you know what? The, the side benefit is the world gets better. I mean, I, I hate to even think of that as a side benefit, but it does. So you're helping yourself. You're helping other people. You're truly helping the planet when you volunteer. You'll be happier for it. The world will be a better place. Now, what I also know, uh, and I'm sure someone after the service will come up and say, you have no idea how busy I am, right? And I understand. Do you know what? There's something else we can do. It may or may not have the same level of benefits to the world, but in the same group of studies, they did one more study. And they suggested that the person who had witnessed the, the minor hurt simply, well, and I'm going to use the word say a prayer, that because it was a non-religious experiment, what they said was, send that person some love. Which, of course, I think, you know, the minister in me goes, oh, we're going to pray for love for that person. It had the same beneficial effect on the one doing the prayer, doing the, the sending of love, sending of wholeness, as the physical activity would. So even, even, and, and I say even, although perhaps the even is bigger than anything else, even if all you do is say a prayer for someone who's in trouble, you're going to get the benefit of that sense of doing something and contentment and joy. And I got to tell you, what we believe around here is that your prayers are probably the most powerful thing of all. So, if you can't volunteer, what I know is you can volunteer enough time 
to do a science of mind treatment, an affirmative prayer, an affirmation, even as the study did, just holding the light of love and comfort and visualizing that person wrapped up in love and joy and peace. Even that will trigger joy in you. Even that will lift you out of uh, uh, you know, whatever doldrums you're in and head you on that pathway to greater joy and greater love. Are you ready for a little bit of homework this week? <laughs> okay, you knew it was coming, I think. So, homework this week. First of all, practice interrupting your story. Next time you go to tell a story, I want you just to look at it. Is this the role you want to be in for the rest of your life? If the answer is yes, then tell the story. <laughs> Devilish, aren't I? <laughs> the next thing I want you to do is practice service and compassion. Now, as some of, I know some of you will absolutely be motivated to, um, to call a women's shelter and, and, and see what you can do to help. Uh, some of you will call the Humane Society or whatever. I think that is perfect and great. But at a minimum, your homework is to extend your thoughts and ideas, your prayers and your commitment to more love, more wholeness, more compassion in the world. So that would be your homework. If you want to go so far as to committing yourself to volunteer hours, that would be awesome. And at a minimum, next time we see someone in trouble, next time we see a car accident, next time we see someone by the side of the freeway with a sign, let us know that that person is whole. Let us know that that person is surrounded by the loving arms of, uh, of spirit itself. Let us know and feel and sense in our heart that that person is okay. Let's not add to their story. Let's not amplify them with a story of homelessness or death. Instead, let us know the truth of their spiritual nature which is always wholeness, which is always the gift from God of life itself. I'm going to close today with a final quote from this book. We're wrapping up our study uh, of joy this month. We're not wrapping up joy, just, uh, just our inspiration from this book. And I'm going to close out the way he closes the book. James Barron says, We started with setting an intention to awaken joy. We decided to do our part to find where true happiness lies. Mindfulness is what got us here in the present moment. It helps us to wake up to life. Gratitude expands the heart so that we can meet each moment with appreciation and wonder. Last week, he's referring to you here, we learned to love ourselves and to stop the self-judgment and criticality. We access our own goodness inside, and we settle into being exactly who we are. We connect with others, and we allow our love to shine through naturally. And then this week, compassion arises as our heart meets suffering and responds in love. All of these qualities, all of these actions are ingredients in a recipe for true happiness, and they will continue to support us always. Let us pray. There is one power, there's one presence, there's one life, there's one joy. There is that giant container of love. I choose on this day to call it God, and what I know about my idea of God is that it is the happiness within each one of us, sweetly, sometimes energetically, sometimes quietly, sometimes outrageously, 
being love, being joy, being happiness. It's truly God's presence on the planet showing up as us, living in joy, living as happiness. It perhaps is the only thing that God truly plans for us is to be happy. And so on this day, I accept it in my own heart. I, I accept the, the idea that there is happiness potential in every single moment of my life. And I know that in each day, I get better at choosing it. Each day, I put aside the roles and the ideas of, of who I should be and what I should be and respond in the moment in joy and in love and in peace. And as it is true for me, I know it is capable and true for each person in this room that with each passing day, each of us gets better at life better at love, better at joy, better at happiness. And with each passing day, my gratitude grows, even as the world is lifted up. And so in great gratitude, I just let it be, and so it is. Thank you so much for being here today. So glad you're here today.